0: Um, so would you please stand with me through the, for the reading of God's word through Romans 12, 1 through 8. <clears throat> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. Isn't that great? Good job, babe. That's my wife, so that's why I call her babe. I don't, yeah, never mind. Um, so today, I just want one, one announcement. Today is the last day uh, that we can do give for uh, foster care giving. So all the tags on the wall today are all for foster care giving. So highly encourage you, go out there, grab a tag. I think all the ones left are under $40, which is awesome. Good job, Refuge. You guys are amazing. So, um, but yeah, go out and visit the, the give placard on the wall. And let's get that taken care of. So uh, this is, we have one more study after this in our year of biblical literacy, which is amazing. So like this whole year, we've been just reading through the Bible together and then we've been teaching on the major topics and themes of the Bible, the year of biblical literacy. And I really hope that this has, for some of you, given, like wetted your palate and given you a taste for God's word and its richness. That's what Peter says, taste and see that the Lord is good taste and see taste and taste of this love story taste of this grand narrative of god's rescue like grace was saying of inviting us into full humanness inviting us into healing that will go on forever and ever and ever what a cool theme this has been and we're excited for what god is going to do next year as we kind of move on from the year of biblical literacy um I did say that we were going to do the year of uh, church history, right? I was kidding. And I'm sorry because, like, there's, there's like, a wave going through the church right now. So I will— seriously think through this and let you know <laughs> what we're going to do next year, uh, but it looks like we're going to be teaching through the Gospel of Mark starting in January. We'll be stopping to do a various series throughout the book of, or the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to read church history, by all means do. I will help you and give you great resources, and we can talk, and it'll be great. Great, the moral vision of the New Testament. Here we go. So what does that mean? Uh, Well, we believe, as I said a second ago, that the Bible is the one and only true story from God. It contains laws, yes. It contains commands, statutes, principles, and wisdom. But most of all, it's a story. It's a story. And in this story, God shows us how life works best. It teaches us God's way, the way that God meant things to be always and how he has brought everything back on track through Jesus Christ and it's all heading to his kingdom. It's, it's a story of what went wrong with the world and how it will finally be put right through God's anointed king and rescuer. And so we've been saying that the moral vision of the New Testament then means how we live in light of that story. But it's not just how we live in light of it, because that almost sounds passive, but it's it's more active than that. It's how we take that story forward and write its next chapters. Now, we've seen in the last few weeks, Romans chapter 12. Last week, we talked about this transformation, kind of like what Grace was talking about today. That was such a great cap to our message last week. Each of us have this responsibility to take our faith and run with it. And to not be conformed, not let technology, not let life, not let just things happen to us, but to take what God has done and to run with it and begin to join God in this work of transformation, in his work of redemption for the world. And so each of us, we have a responsibility as individuals to present ourselves to God. God created us. God redeemed us. And that's what Paul talks about for the first 11 chapters of Romans. And so he says, so in light of that, give yourself to God, every part of you. Give your... Identity, your sexuality, your relationships, your career, your present, your past, your future. Give all of yourself to God to be a tool for right living or to be an instrument of, of God to do what's right. And as we do this, we join God in his work of redemption. Now, Last week, we talked really about the individual responsibility to do that. And this Sunday, it's interesting, we're talking about the corporate responsibility, the communal responsibility to do that. So what I said last week and what I'm saying this week do not contradict one another. It's a both-and kind of thing. We all have to give ourselves to this work of transformation, but we also have to give ourselves to community and to do this together. So what does that look like? Well... Paul says we actually attain renewal, experience renewal, through communal dynamics. I just want to read it one more time. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in a body, we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, the church, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having different gifts according to God's grace that's been given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then in proportion to the faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So as I said, though we have an individual responsibility to not be conformed and to be transformed, to present ourselves to God to do righteousness, in verse 3, Paul makes it clear that transformation or holistic transformation, maybe that's a good way to put it, comes through community dynamics. Now, how many of us are thrilled about that? Look around the room. You thrilled about transformation through community dynamics? okay good well some of you are I'm not you yeah, I like, truly honestly like I go rogue all the time like that's how I do best like okay uh, my mom tells a story actually when I was a kid um, I used to love like going on hikes and just doing I, I would always go missing always my mom was a really good watcher over me um No, but I'd always go missing. And she said this one time I was like determined that I was going to go on this hike with my friends. And I'm like, all right, let's go. And I just take off walking, and then nobody follows me. I'm like, all right, if nobody will follow, then I'll lead myself. I was like three, and I just went off, right? And that's me. Like, I've always been like that. Like, if if no, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to, you know, carve the way and, and figure it out. And so when I think about community dynamics, honestly, I think about a drag, I think about inconvenience. I think about having to deal with people. And, and though, like C.S. Lewis, I love everybody in general. It's usually an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Um, and that makes it a lot easier for us, doesn't it? Um, but listen to this. Listen to what Paul's saying. He says difference, if it is approached through the lens of the gospel, can be this dynamic of forcing us out of ourselves. And this is the problem with all of us. Me, mine, my likes, my preferences. Selfishness is one of the, 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 deep, the deepest rooted sins in humanity. And community dynamics have this way through this lens of the gospel forcing us out of ourselves and into this image of Jesus. The way of Jesus was always others first at your service oriented. So how, how do we do this? And Paul lays this out for us. It's really great. How do we do it? Paul goes directly for our ego, calling us, again, to change our minds, change our thinking, right, like he does in verses 1 and 2. He says, change your thinking by first changing the way you think about yourself. So all human beings, uh, all human ego suffers, right? Some of us from an overinflated ego, others of, of us from a deflated ego, right? We all have wrong views about ourselves. And this shows up in all sorts of ways, right? We compare ourselves to one another, we judge how good we are or how well we're doing based on these comparisons, and we vie for importance, honor, and power based on these differences. And in fact, uh, this was so prevalent in Greco-Roman society uh, with class, ethnicity, uh, sexuality, uh, and this is why Paul is constantly talking about being one new humanity in Messiah, Now, you need to understand this, Paul is not down on the self, right? Many people have taken this view of the Bible that the Bible is dualistic, it's actually not, and it was um, a stark contrast to the dualistic Greco-Roman world that believed that flesh, that believed that the physical was evil and only the spiritual was good. Paul is not down on the self, he's not down on humanity, he doesn't have a woe is me, I'm trash mentality, or maybe like Brendan Manning says, his inner voice would say to him, I'm a sewer, I'm a dirty, rotten sewer. Right? That's not, that's not Jesus' way of thinking. That's not Jesus' way of living, and that's not what Paul encourages. Paul is asking for a realistic and accurate view of self. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment. That means to have an accurate, in-touch with reality, view of yourself. You guys remember when American Idol came out? Yeah. See, I, I just have to say it. Everybody knows exactly where I'm going with this. Or The Voice, right? Some of the best parts of that show are the people that come on and they think they've got it, right? And the biggest problem is that their parents never told them otherwise, right? <laughs> and you just think, How? How did you live like? Like, how did people let you do this? And then get on television in front of millions of people and embarrass yourself like this. I mean, it's awful, and you just, like, every part, every fiber of my being, when I watch that show, I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, like, I want to curl up, and, like, it brings me so much anxiety. And yet, and yet, we do this in all sorts of ways in our lives. We allow our ego to run rampant because we have a highly inflated view of ourself. Or the other side, of course, some of us have never been affirmed. Some of us have never been loved in the way that God created us to be loved and to be cultivated. So Paul wants to heal all of that. And he wants us to think of ourselves correctly. Neither too high, neither too low. So how do we do this? How do we think accurately about ourselves? How do we View ourselves according to what Paul's talking about here. Well, listen to what he says. How do we do it? How do we measure it? Each according to the measure of faith that God has designed. Now, some people have thought that measure of faith here means the amount of faith, right? Like some of you have pint-sized faith. Others of you have gallon-sized faith, you know, and liters or whatever, right? Some measurement, That God has given, and he's given some more than others, but the word measure uh, that's used here is more like a standard of measurement, uh, or like a rule, right? And so Paul is actually speaking here about each according to the faith, or the rule of faith, and it's Paul's shorthand for the gospel. So how are we to think of ourselves, and how are we to think of one another? Paul says that we are to think of one another, You are to think of yourself not too high. Right? Well, how does that work with the gospel? Well, what do you have that you didn't receive? There is no such thing as a self-made person. Truly, when you think about it, life is a gift. And wherever you're at now, whether your parents helped you to get there or a community around you or whatever, someone helped you. Not only that, but you have gifts. We talked about it this morning, right? Turn to one another, ask, what are your gifts? But we also have talents. Where do those come from? We often call them gifts. Why? Because we did nothing to earn them. We did nothing to really cultivate them. They were naturally there from the start. And of course, they are cultivated over time. But it's a gift. It's a gift of grace. We can't think too highly of ourselves because what do we have that we didn't receive? There are no self-made people. We are all created by God. We have all been redeemed by God, right? The blood of Jesus is is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but the whole world, if people are willing. Redeemed by God. It's a total act of God's grace, not earned, not deserved. So, bring yourself down, right? Wait, but not too low, Paul says. Why? Because simultaneously, you are dearly loved by God. This is incredible. Incredible. You're dearly loved by God. He gave His one of a kind Son, His only Son that He dearly loves, for you, for me. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus loves me. God loves me. Individually, He loves me, and He loves you. We are supremely loved and valued by God. And so we are to measure ourselves by this rule. Not too high and not too low, but only through the lens of the gospel can we have this right view of ourselves. And this is how we do our assess one another and ourselves, by that measure of God-saving faithfulness. Each of us are recipients of the grace of God. Remember I said a few weeks ago that um, Christianity was the great equalizer. But when Paul appeals to Christians who are not considering the sensitive conscience of other believers, and this is talking about Jewish and Gentile table, um, table manners, what you eat at the table, where you buy your meat from. They were, you know, some were like, oh, that, that's been sacrificed to an idol. It's not kosher. I can't eat it. Paul says when you just do what you want to do, When you're just considering yourself, he says this, you are forgetting that this is your brother or sister for whom Messiah died. That's the lens that he wants us to view the situation through. That's the lens that he wants us to view one another through. This is an individual for whom Messiah died and you aren't even considering that? When Peter talks to husbands, about loving their wives and dwelling with them with the determination to understand them. He appeals to the fact that wives are heirs of the gracious gift of life. It's another term for salvation. This is the sister for whom Messiah died. And this is the measurement by which we measure one another's importance It's not on status, it's not on class, gender, whether we get along, whether we agree on politics or whatever it might be. But it's solely by the cross of Jesus. We are the family for whom Jesus died. Tune the emotional music. What was that? That was great. Um, (laughs) So we're the family for whom Jesus died. And this is the way that we need to view one another And this is how we, this is like the foundation for the community dynamic that Paul is calling us to. So what does that mean then? If we are the community for whom Jesus died and we've all got different experiences and backgrounds and perspective, well, I think that this is the way that what Paul is trying to say here is that everyone in this room is both needy and needed. That's the truth of every one of us. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years or if you've been walking with him for three weeks. Everyone is needy and needed. And when we have a proper view of ourselves through this lens of the gospel, we can accept what we are not and what we cannot do. That's the needy part, right? When I, when I really view myself through the gospel, I was in desperate need of the love of God and the grace of God. I'm insufficient in and of myself. But I can, I can assess myself through the gospel in a way that does not crush me, in a way that does not defeat me. It's filled with incredible hope. And it makes me properly assess myself and then be open to my need for you and vice versa, your need for me. We are all both needy and needed. No one is sufficient himself, and God, listen to this. This is the part that's just kind of irritating. God's done this on purpose. Like, God, God, you trickster, you know, you. Paul says, he's done this. This is God's doing. You don't like it? Well, take it up with God, right? He has done this on purpose. God has scattered the gifts of the Spirit within the church, so that we are forced to be united. Now, unfortunately, oftentimes in the church, when we talk about spiritual, or when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about spiritual gifting, usually what we ask is, what is my gift? Which is totally valid, but in Paul's assessment, it seems like we should first be asking, why is my gift? Right? Why spiritual gifts in the first place? Why the Spirit? And the answer is, unity why is God given the Holy Spirit to the church well one major reason is unity God gives different gifts to individuals to create a culture of interdependence and appreciation of difference which drives us to unify just like the body right it's absurd to think of our ears turning to our eyes and saying you stupid eyes you can't even hear like, it's, it's absurd. It's meant to be absurd. It's, to think, it's absurd to think of our eyes looking down on our feet. You stupid feet, you can't even see where you're going, right? It's just like, of course not. The community of God is also a body made up of many different members, and each of us are to operate in our role and function for mutual benefit and thriving. This is the way God has set it up. Of course, and as I said last week, you know, each of us are called to individual transformation, to seek God out, to the uh, spiritual disciplines of solitude and silence and Sabbath, and contemplating God's work and prayer and these things. But we also have a communal responsibility to one another, to the body of Christ. And in God's economy, it's never about the individual. It's always about the other. This is the way God's economics work. God is both a communal and covenantal God, and and, and he has made it that we need one another in order to accomplish the goal of Christ-likeness. There's no other way. I've referenced this many times, but a book that really helped me understand this was John Stott's book, The Living Church. And in it, he speaks continuously of an every-member ministry. And Unfortunately, so often, our view of church or the, the model of church that we've been given is that there are a few people at the top that do all the work, and we have a bunch of people that come and... and listen and receive and benefit and then scatter and then they do it again and then they do it again but more the idea is this dynamic of call and response give and receive that every part and every member is doing their piece it's more it's not a solo it's not a trio it's an orchestra that's how the body of Christ is to work And Sunday morning is only one aspect of our life together, right? We we come together to receive teaching and instruction about what God is doing in our midst. But the community dynamic is supposed to be part of our everyday living. And so I love this vision of the every member ministry, right? One person cannot do everything or even a small group of people, but God has called each of us as individuals to bring our unique gift, calling, personality, and perspective together. Strengths and weaknesses, sufficiencies and insufficiencies. And as we submit to one another, we work together that we might help one another grow in our communal identity in Christ and human wholeness, knowledge of God, knowledge of God's love for the world and his plan for humanity. Listen to the way Paul words this in Ephesians. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Do this with all humility and gentleness. Do it with patience. Bear with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And the idea here is not gospel grace, but a gift of grace an empowerment that Paul talks about here. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children who are tossed back and forth by the waves and carried about with every different kind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, by speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If, you don't, if you're not following what Paul says here, this is basically what he's saying. Transformation is a community event. That's what it is. It's a community task You cannot be a whole, mature Christian. I cannot grow. You cannot grow. We cannot grow up properly without being an integral, functioning member of an interdependent church community. That's the way God has designed it. Now, of course, this kind of thinking is so hard for us to get and to apply as Americans because we live in a culture in which the interests and desires of the individual always trump the group. Always take precedence over the family or the community. Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, says this, a high percentage of people want to achieve spiritual growth, but they want to do it without losing their independence to a church or to any organized institution. But there is no way you will be able to grow spiritually apart from deep involvement in a community of other believers. It just doesn't happen. You know why? Because when you try to be the rogue Christian, when you try to do the, you know, Lone Ranger Christian thing, you are going against the grain of how God designed it to function. And you might reach certain levels of maturity, but you'll never attain to the fullness of the stature of Christ. You cannot do that on your own. And you know what? The church cannot do it without you. See, see again how that, that, that's humbling and it's also encouraging. You're needy and you're needed. And this is true of everyone. You can't live the Christian life without a band of Christian friends, without a family of believers in which you find your place, a community of interdependence. Now, I think about my life um, before I had, you know, a family of my own. And because of our individualistic societal mindset, it was relatively carefree. Anybody else do this? Like, you look back on your singleness, and in some ways, you're like, man, I really blew that. Like, I could have done that better. Honestly, you know, I could have, I could have spent more time helping families, you know, who had, like, three kids in two and a half years, right? Catholic twins, Irish twins, whatever. Like, I, I could have helped out. I could have brought them a meal. I could have done something unselfish like that. Um, I could have exposed myself to uh, just to the needs of the congregation. Usually, though, most of us, just because of our culture that we live in, we only thought of ourselves. And then, of course, we would assess church based upon, oh, this community isn't really like me. It's not really meeting my needs. I'm not really benefiting from this, right? We assess everything according to me, mine, my likes, my preferences. So getting married for me and having kids a community of people that are covenantally connected to me forced me out of myself finally. Uh, It it forced me to see my insufficiencies and weaknesses. Nothing like, not even a wife, nothing like children will do this. Um, Showing you your inconsistency but it forced me to lean on others for strength and for wisdom. I didn't have it in a, In and of myself, how could I, right? 26 years old, 27 years old, I had never done this before. Well, the body of Christ works in the same way, right? God is calling us to be in covenantal relationship with one another. To not just say like, okay, I'll bear your burden, I guess, but to say, your burden is my burden, My burden is your burden. This is a family project. That's the idea. Gosh, guys, I was just talking to Rich Sundahl about this this morning. When we think about redemption, do you know that redemption was a community project? Think about Genesis 22. It is Abraham and Isaac. This is the greatest picture in the Old Testament of the work of redemption. Father and son walk the hill of sacrifice together. The instruments of judgment are in the Father's hands. The wood is laid upon the back of the Son and together they walk the hill and together they make sacrifice and together they have this understanding, this vision. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. This is what happened at the cross. It wasn't that God was just punishing Jesus, that the wrath of God was just being poured out on Jesus and you know, God's angry at Jesus. No, it was Father and Son that made redemption together there at Calvary. It was a community project. And in that same way, God calls us into a covenantal community project to work out our salvation together. As the father and say that the burden of the world is their burden, God calls us to look at one another and say, your burden is my burden, my burden is your burden. Paul says we are one body With many members of parts. Each part has a distinct, unique function. But without all the parts functioning, you have a mutilated body or a handicapped body. Now, this is not to look down on anybody who has experienced mutilation. This is not to look down on anybody who is handicapped. But we understand that to mean that the whole body cannot function completely. It cannot do what it was created to do. So likewise with the body of Christ. We individually have a responsibility to seek out the why of our gift and the what of our gift in order to use it so we can grow up, so we can be involved in this community project together of Christ-like maturity, of human wholeness. So then what is Paul calling us to do? Nike, just do it, right? That's what he's saying. However God has gifted you, use it. it Paul doesn't give us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts here. You can look at Rome, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for that. You can look at 1 Peter 4 for another list of gifts. But I think it goes without saying that he would tell you to use your gift and serve others, even if it didn't make Paul's short list here. So Paul lists a, a number of gifts, and we'll just go through them quickly because the point isn't again what gift the point is use your gift and that's what Paul says again and again prophecy is that the gift use it in accordance with the faith use it according to sound doctrine right use your gift of prophecy he says service do you have the gift of service then serve right? Do you constantly just see, oh, that's an opportunity to love on somebody, to help somebody, to come alongside somebody? Then just do it. Teachers, man, I just love to bring people along and just instruct them, whether this is Christian doctrine or it's just life, living how to be a good husband, how to be a good father, how to be a good worker, how to be like a good person that lives out their celibacy. Just do it. Come alongside people and teach them in these things, Exhorters, man, I just love to come alongside people and say, "Man, God has His hand on you. Go for it! I see this gifting in you. I see this passion in you. Go for it! Go for it! Go for it!" Uh, actually, Britton and I, uh, getting to know Philip, who um, started Foster the Bay, it's really fascinating because he was a pastor of a church whose God had, you know, just touched his and his wife's heart to do foster care, and there was another local pastor that came along and said. Philip, God is calling you to to lead this new ministry in in the Bay Area. You need to leave your church and you need to just do this full time. And it was clearly like God's voice directing him and directing his life. That's a gift. Use that gift in this body. There are many gifts here. There are many things that are not being done and many things being used because I believe the gift of exhortation is missing. Coming alongside people and saying, "God, God is gifting you in this way. Just do it. Go for it. This has always been our mentality um, as leadership, and, and part of it has to do with the fact that like people come to us with really good ideas, and we're like, you know, like spinning plates already. We're like, oh, that's really great. Yeah, okay, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, okay, yeah. Now I can't spin another plate. Like, you do it. So that's been a big part of like our our leadership here is just to say, yeah, we're trying to function in our gifts. You function in your gift. Just do it. So whatever you need, however we can help, however we can come alongside. Do it. Do it, and we'll be with you. Paul says, contributors. So this is people that just want to support other people and the gifts and the callings that God has put on their life. Paul needed contributors so he could be sent to the different churches so his way could be paid so that he could support different churches being established and being taken care of. There are many ways that we can contribute to the work of the kingdom of God, and Paul says, contributors, be generous. That's the one thing he says, just be generous. Two more. Leaders. Man, if God has gifted you as a leader, do it passionately. Do it with zeal. What an incredible privilege to lead God's people. Do it with passion. Take it seriously. And finally, acts of mercy. What are acts of mercy? Well, in the Bible, they are serving the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. That is mercies of ministry according to the witness of the Bible. And Paul says, do it with cheerfulness. Not as a drag, do it with cheerfulness. And, and, and again, guys, just if we view this through a gospel lens, man, think about what, how Jesus used all of his gifting by the Spirit to seek and save us. That he gave his life at the cross for us. How can we hold back these gifts that God has given us? He's invited us to be partakers in his ministry. How could we neglect these? How could we just, like, not care about them? When we view this exhortation through that gospel lens, we see this as, The indicative, the gospel is the indicative and these is the imperative. This is what we must do in light of the gospel. It makes perfect sense. God show mercy as God has shown mercy to you. Now again, the idea behind this list here and those not mentioned is that every member of the church is absolutely essential. Just like each part of the body is essential and plays a part in a fully functioning body. And that means no matter how small or large a congregation, no matter how smart, how talented or resourced the individual, spiritual or unspiritual, everyone has a gift from the Holy Spirit, a ministry and a part to play. And I want to say this too, because I think that this is really important. It is not an accident that you are in this church community. It is not an accident that we have certain people here and don't have certain people here. I think God would say something along the lines of, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with, right? <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Stills. But truly, like, how, how much time do we spend, like, oh, well, if our congregation had this and had that and this and that, and we compare, well, the church I came from had this and had that. I'm sorry. God has designed it so. He has created some sufficiencies and some insufficiencies, so that everyone would rise up to the occasion and do their part. And when we do that, when we stop looking around at other churches and, well, I heard this pastor teach, and great, I'm glad, I'm glad, good. Well, I I I went to this church and experienced this there, and great, you live here and you're part of this family. What are we going to do about this? Are we just gonna spend all of our time thinking about how we're not what we want to be rather than saying, I'm gonna take hold of my gifting and I'm gonna use it. I'm going to invest in this community because I wanna see the gospel be brought in a greater way to this county. I wanna see the gospel be brought in a greater way to the church community, to my neighbors, to my coworkers, right? God has purposefully scattered the gifting making us insufficient in ourselves to cause us to be unified. We cannot be the body of Christ as an individual or even as a small, closed group. Years ago, Grace and I ran into some friends uh, from a church that we used to attend in Orange County. And we ran into them and they were attending a different church and they were telling us, yeah, it's a church of prophets. We're like, okay, you know. Yeah, it's everyone at that church, Everyone has the gift of prophecy. Okay. Everyone has the gift of prophecy. So there's, there's no tongues. There's no service. There's no generosity. There's no exhortation. There's no encouragement. Charity. I mean, like, I mean, it's really nice to be with people that have your same gifting and think like you do. That's great, but that's not what God has purposed. He wants every part present in doing its function. He's done this on purpose so that we have to learn unity in order to become what God has called us to be. Now, again, I don't want this to be the focus, but I do think it's important to talk about this. How do we discover our spiritual gifts? Because for some of you, you're like, maybe, maybe at one time I thought I had this. Actually, no, I have no idea. <laughs> I, do, I just don't know, right? So I I think it really is important, rather than take a spiritual gift survey that you can find online, I think it's really important to just ask yourself, why is that funny? Online, oh yeah. That thing. Online thing. Um, But I think it, it really is important to ask yourself, what am I good at? What am I good at? What am I inclined toward? Like when I look at the church and I see something missing, Am I passionate about that? Like, what, are the, what are the holes that I see? So ask yourself, what am I good at? What am I inclined toward? What am I passionate about? What do others confirm in me? So that's one way. Also, asking the Holy Spirit to show you. God has designed it this way. Gosh, he wants us to operate in our gifting. And, and Jesus says, man, he's our father in heaven. We've had, you know, we've had sinful fathers on earth that give us good gifts. How much more our heavenly father will he give us the Holy Spirit when we ask him? This is what God wants for us. He wants human wholeness. He wants maturity in the body of Christ. And so ask the Holy Spirit to show you, or even pray for a specific gifting. You know, like, man, I just think that service is just beautiful. Pray for that gifting then. And then don't just wait. Do it. Just enter into it because part of this is that we just have to, like, kind of feel it out. If we have some inclination or a feel, like a leading, then seek to discover through trial and error. Step out and do what you believe God is calling you to do and see what fruit comes from it. You know, in my early walk with Jesus, guys, I can't tell you how many times I got it wrong. But you know what? At least I tried. I remember this one time, I, you know, I grew up in a hippie church, you know, people had visions all the time, and, you know, God gave them this vision, and they went out and did this work, and I was like, that's awesome, I want God to do that, so I would go to this prayer meeting, it was all these older ladies, and they would lay hands on you, and pray for you, and this one time, I'm like, I had this vision of this venue downtown, you know, in, in Newport Beach, and like, we're going to do concerts there, and all this stuff, and so that day, I got in my car, and I just drove around Newport Beach, and I'm like, Lord, show me, show me my vision, you know, and it's like, you know what I found? Nothing, I found my way home, eventually, um... <laughs> but at the end of the day I was just like whatever I tried like I don't feel stupid and, and I feel a little crazy but I don't feel stupid like this is just kind of stepping out like I have no, we have no idea where God might show up I was reading this book yesterday it's called A War of Loves and it's a story about how a man who was a gay activist uh, a teen gay activist in Sydney was arrested by Jesus Christ you know where this happened it happened in a gay bar in Sydney a, a Christian woman was there and they talked about Jesus and he had been avoiding Jesus for his whole life and she, at the end of this conversation she just says can I pray for you? She lays hands on him prays for him. The Holy Spirit comes on him and from that day forward his journey with Jesus begins and of course it wasn't like immediate that you know he's surrendering all his sexuality and all these things but that's where it began. All that to say we have no idea where God might show up and when he might show up and how he might direct us into what he is doing. Do you believe that? Let's live that out. Let's actively seek out our gift and gifting to be brought into what the Lord might do. So gifts, really, they're discovered in service to God and others. And it is in humble service that we discover the gifts and that we, ha- um, that we have and the greater gifts that we may need. Um, Now, in closing, and my conclusion is rather long, so let's get to it. Again, it's not funny, people. I'm not being funny. Ed Ed Welch said this. I, I appreciated this. He said, our weakness or neediness is a valuable asset in God's community. Anything that reminds us that we are dependent on God and other people is a good thing. Otherwise, we trick ourselves into thinking we are self-sufficient and arrogance is sure to follow. We need help and God has given us his spirit and each other to provide it. Let me ask you a question. What other community on earth thinks this way? Oh, insufficient? Oh, not as smart as the rest? Join us, please. You are an invaluable asset to this community. And yet, isn't that what Jesus did all the time? Inviting people that did not belong, people that were not good enough, people that were outsiders, inviting them to the table, saying, you can eat and drink with God. You can be a part of his family. This is incredible that we belong to something like this. This is so unique in the world. This is so unique in our culture. Neediness and insufficiency is valued. No matter who you are, you are a part of the family of God. And whatever gift you have, doesn't matter what the assessment of others might be, God has given you that gift. And it is a vital part of the body of Christ. And it must be used. It must be stirred up. We need one another. And it's only through community dynamics that we can attain the fullness of the stature of Christ. So what I was talking about last week, remember, about discovering the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God, by living in a way that, that, that takes the story the next, to the next step, it's both an individual and communal effort that Paul is calling us to seek out. So let me, ju- let me just say this, because I think this is important. I think I meant to say it earlier. But this transformation process of renewal, whether individually, but I think especially through community, is not easy or comfortable for us we always want processes and procedures to run smoothly and quickly. We want to give it over with as quickly as possible. We think of the pack or the group as holding us back, but God says it is only through learning unity, through community, that we will reach the goal of Christ-likeness and human wholeness. God is calling this church as a communal whole to actively participate in our collective sanctification. Together, we will be made more and more like Jesus. With all of our brokenness, warts and all, insufficiencies, insufficiencies, it is through our unity that we will progress in sanctification. How do we do that? By seeking our gifting and using it to serve one another. God has given us his spirit, his word. Jesus has walked before us as our model. He wants us to work this out together. Like Paul says, right? Work out your own salvation. It's messy. Community is messy. Life is messy. And, and counterformation, what God is calling us to, sanctification, is the hardest thing a human being will ever set out to do. And that's why it takes the new birth by the spirit of the living God working inside and out of us, giving a new heart, new desires. That's why it takes a community of spirit-filled people to walk through life with And it is a lifetime project. Right? It's a lifetime project. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So Paul is calling us as a family, as a community, to engage in this transformation process. As I was saying last week, become an active agent by taking salvation and running with it. Paul is calling us to engage in learning new habits and new rhythms, not just individually, but community dynamics of what it means to be human, what it means to be the community of God. And it's, it's about learning together. This I think this is like so key. It's about learning together to discern what God is doing in our midst, what God is doing in our community through the different gifts he has put in the body and then doing it. God, what are you doing at Refuge let's join God in that work. God, what are you doing in our county? God, what are you doing in our city? Let's join God in that work with the different gifts that he has given us. And when we do this, we, capital we, take the story of God forward in our own time and in our generation, and we write with God, as it were, the next chapters of the story of God in the world. That's Paul's vision for the church. It's about individual transformation. It's about communal transformation and human wholeness so that we can join God in the work of redemption he is doing in the world. We can take the story of God forward. We have been invited, privileged to partake in this work. We've been gifted to do it. So Paul says, Church, do it. Do it. And so as we close our time this morning, we There's a few things, and and this is not closing. This is transitioning to communion. So all you haters and judgers out there, I am done with my sermon. Um, But as we transition now to responding to God's word, this is significant. We have a table and Paul tells us that this one bread that we partake of is the body of Christ. It goes into all of us. We are one body, one bread, one communion, one fellowship in the Lord. And so let's think about that this morning as we take communion. We're one with one another, with one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That is what God is calling us to, this unity of the Spirit. And then secondly, I would say, man, if, you are, if the Lord is touching your heart this morning, I, I encourage you to ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. I, I've just been, like, encouraged by this. Like, just hearing stories about people, God just, like, Moving people to lay their hands on someone and pray over them and the Spirit just working and speaking and moving. If that's you this morning, our prayer team is gonna be available at the back. But there are also people just in their seats who I would know would love to pray over you. So if that's you this morning, you feel God tugging at your heart, the Spirit wants to speak, the Spirit wants to move, He wants to lead you into your gifting and into service, then reach out for that. Ask for that. Turn to your neighbor, whether it's your spouse or your friend or somebody you don't even know and ask for that. And let's see what God will do as we respond in faith to his word. So, Lord, we thank you for your incredible invitation. Lord, not only have you redeemed us, like Psalm 40 says, he pulled us up from out of the pit. We were sinking Lord, but you, you put our feet on solid ground, Lord. We sing a new song to you. Praise to our God, the one who alone saves. And Lord, how incredible it is now, Lord, that you have invited us to be participants in the work of salvation and redemption for the world. So, Lord, would we now, Lord, stand firm in that? Would we take hold of our salvation? Would we actively participate in transformation? Would we seek it out to know you, to know how you've gifted us, how you're calling us individually, communally, so that we can see your story go forward in this city in this time, in this generation, God. Lord, we're at your mercy, but that mercy is vast. It's vast. As Paul says, Lord, when you ascended, you led captivity captive, and you dispersed gifts and blessings upon humanity because you're a good, kind, gracious God. God. Your mercy is great, Lord, and so would you, again, Lord, lavish your mercy upon us this morning, Lord. Pour out your Spirit and lead us into good things.